He got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Thank you, choir. <laughs> yeah, so that song, is it just a, a pretty little ditty? You know, uh, a simple song with no real meaning. Uh, you know, it's actually based on the scripture. It's based on Job chapter 12 and verse 10 where it says, talking about God, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of every human being. So why? Why have people... Even God's people struggled so mightily with dignity and respect for every human being. Why is it that the life of the, the unborn and sometimes the lives of the elderly and the life of those who look different than we do or the lives of those people that are in prison and those that are really poor, why is it that it's so easy to disregard and even throw away those people? You know, in my life, I was thinking about this. I remember growing up in a, a suburb, and in our suburb, uh, a fairly affluent suburb, uh, we had only one uh, African-American man, a black young man, and I remember that he was treated poorly from time to time and talked about poorly. But it didn't impact me very much at that time of my life. And then I remember going to Alabama uh, when I was in the service and, uh, and seeing the poor people down there and, and some of the, the issues in the Deep South. And that began to impact me a little more. Then I remember when I was a soldier in the military, how they would brainwash us and teach us to devalue and hate the enemy by calling the enemy horrible names. So that when a soldier had to kill somebody, in a sense, he didn't even consider them a human. So we dehumanize people. And I, I thought about that as, as I was growing up. And then we ended up moving back to the South at some time in our life, and our children were little. And uh, we actually saw the Ku Klux Klan in action, uh, burning a cross. And uh, I remember how that impacted me, and I didn't want my kids to see that. But then I realized that what I saw in the Deep South was the same thing that I experienced in the suburbs when I was younger. Just less of it, less opportunity. And I've thought about uh, in life, uh, prison. You know, I'm in prison all the time. And the, uh, the mass incarceration that we have going on in this country, primarily against people of color. And it's not that they haven't done crimes, people. But you have to ask questions about why is it that way in our society. And I've thought about, you know, the way that people have treated women in life. And so I think about these things, and, and I, the word prejudice comes to mind. And people get nervous <laughs> when you talk about prejudice. And I thought about this this morning. I thought, have I ever heard a message in church that was just basically on prejudice? which means prejudging people. And I thought, well, I've heard pieces, bits and pieces of messages, but I don't remember a message. And you know what? This word that we have from the Lord today is pretty clear what he's talking about. And, uh, you know, the Bible teaches something that's pretty amazing, and we all understand it as Christians, that God has made all mankind, every man, 
woman, and child in his own image. That's powerful, isn't it, when you think about that? Every human being made in the image of God. So I've had the privilege and the challenge of doing a lot of funerals in my life. And sometimes I'm called upon to do a funeral for a person that apparently didn't love the Lord Jesus and didn't walk with the Lord Jesus. And what God has taught me is to look at the life of those people, both Christian and non-Christian, and, and find a way that somehow they reflected the image of God. And you know what? In every case, I've been able to find that. I remember one young man who was obviously not a follower of Jesus, but he had a great love for children. Our Lord Jesus loves children. And so I was able to encourage the family and say, you know, I saw the image of God in this way, in this person. So uh, when I go to the Illinois Youth Center, uh, and some of you prayed for that this week. By the way, it was really a challenging week, maybe one of the hardest weeks that I've ever had there at the Illinois Youth Center. But when... When they finally settled down uh, and listened, I remember saying at the very end of this to these young men, uh, every one of you young men are created in the image of God. Every one of you have been given gifts and talents from God that he wants to use in your life. That's the Lord's, the Lord's desire. So God has given each one of them worth and dignity and gifts and talents. So the why question is hard to answer. It really is difficult. I think sometimes that, that each of us want to think that somehow we're better than, than somebody else, than our neighbor. And, you know, I had to examine my own heart on that. And I like to think I'm not that way, but I could see in my own heart there are times when I've wanted to think I'm better than that person somehow. That's where some of this comes from, is, is from our own hearts. And uh, some of us have been taught by parents and other people to look down on our neighbors, to look down on others. Some of us might have deep-seated fears of those who are different than we are. And so we don't know how to treat them, so maybe we treat them poorly uh, to feel better about ourselves. And I want to say this, and yet the church goes on singing, <laughs> he's got the whole world in his hands. It's been a problem for a long, long time, since the beginning of time. But that does not allow us, especially as God's people, to say it's never, ever going to change. We can't just say that. Uh, today's scripture, as we get to it, I believe that it reflects the heart of God. And, and it does. This is his word, and it reflects his heart. And he wants us to reflect his heart as well. And, you know, that's never changed with God. God has always been the same. I love in Malachi, it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. But you know what? He wants our hearts to change, to be like his, to reflect him. So this morning, as we look at this challenging topic, hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will teach us from your word this morning, uh, that we would reflect your heart. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the first thing, uh, turn to the book of Acts, and, and we're finishing chapter 9 and moving into chapter 10. Um, the first thing I want us to see is that God is moving. And all these points are in your bulletin. You know what? I didn't I said this week I didn't want to fill in the blanks. I didn't want everything to come up one at a time. I just said put it right out there, the whole outline, so people can listen and think. And, and if you want to write, go ahead and write. But God is moving. You remember when we started Habakkuk, the chapter 1, 
And there's a verse there uh, that says, look among the nations. By the way, I want you to think about the word nations this morning and the word family as we talk about this topic. So in Habakkuk 1 and, and verse 5, God says, uh, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Do you believe that God is still doing that? I mean, think about that. I had to pause when I read that and, and said, whoa, where's that going on? And, and I began to think, wow, look at our world. Look at what God's doing in the Muslim nations. You know, a lot of Muslims are having dreams about Jesus Christ and coming to the Lord. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think about how the nations are moving around and, and how small our world is. And, and God is moving. God is still moving. And he's moving in powerful, powerful ways. So the first part of our message is from Acts 9, starting in verse 32. And uh, I'm reading down through um, 42. So if you would follow along with me as I read, I appreciate this. I don't want to disregard the scripture. There's a lot of it this morning, but it's titled The Healing of Aeneas. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. And then it goes on talking about Dorcas, restored to life. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. By the way, notice that she was called a disciple. Know that our Lord Jesus, he honored women, and uh, he gave them a, a place. Notice that she was a disciple. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, all the women. And he knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Wow, there's a lot going on in that passage. <laughs> so, God, in spite of persecution, you remember Stephen was stoned and the church was persecuted, and then the, the church, the disciples, dispersed all over uh, the, that part of the world. In spite of all that, God is still using the apostles, He's still moving. Uh, and specifically, he's using Peter in this passage. And Peter is healing people. Do you believe that God still heals people? Yeah, he does. He doesn't heal everybody, but God is still in the business of healing people. And he heals in different ways. Right before Kathy and I took off for Christmas to go to New Mexico, a friend of mine asked me if I would pray with him for his wife, who the doctors had determined probably had cancer and uh, that her life wasn't going to be very long. And uh, he was, obviously he was distraught. And so, you know, we prayed and we prayed through the holidays and I couldn't get any information. 
about four weeks later, when I, when I finally was able to talk to my friend, he said, you know, uh, we got a report back, and the doctor said, you know what, whatever was there, we don't see it anymore. And they said, we can't explain it. Those were the exact words that the doctor said, is we can't explain it. She's going to need some surgery, but she's going to be fine. And so this man was praising the Lord. And by the way, this brother needed this in his life because he's been struggling spiritually. And so God, I believe, allowed him to have his wife not have this cancer that they were talking about so that he could give glory to God. So God still does a lot of unexplained things, and we want to try and explain it, but we can't. So I praise the Lord for that. And, and the disciples, Peter was raising people from the dead. <laughs> you know, when I thought about that, a verse popped into my head, and that verse is, uh, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. So when, when Peter <laughs> was raising people from the dead, it wasn't him that was doing that. And, you know, that's the challenge. We think, you know, I don't see any men raising people from the dead. Well, it never was men that were raising people from the dead. It was always the Spirit of God that does that. And the Spirit of God is still working in mighty, mighty, mighty ways around our world. I've told you this short story, and I'll make it real short, but... Um, down at Angola Prison in Louisiana, they had just built a brand new church building in Camp D, one of the main prison camps there. And right after the church was built, there was a murder, a stabbing. And the, the church, you know, there's about, I think there was probably, uh, I'm going to say 1,500 to 2,000 prisoners in that camp. Probably 500 of them were church members. And they couldn't believe that just as soon as God allowed them to have a sanctuary built, there, there was this awful murder in their camp. So we and the college students were down there, and they asked us, the chaplain asked us, would you march around this camp from guard tower to guard tower to guard tower to guard tower and stop at every dormitory in the middle and every office and pray for this camp? And we did, and everywhere we went, we shouted out, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And even to this day, 15 years later, when we go back to that camp, God has prevented any more violence in that particular part of the camp. And so the church there praises the Lord. It's the same God, the same Holy Spirit that is operating today that was operating in the time of Peter. And the beautiful thing is, is that the souls of people were being saved every day. And God is still saving the souls of people every day. Don't you love it when you see a new Christian and see their enthusiasm and see what God is doing? And God is doing that all over our world. And sometimes we don't see it, and so we forget about it. But we need to understand that the Spirit of God is moving mightily in the world. I want them to move mightily in our church and in our neighborhood as well. And so maybe, maybe God wants to get our attention today. I don't know. So I think sometimes we think that God is no longer speaking. Have you ever been in a spot where you felt like God wasn't speaking anymore? Let's be honest. Yeah, there's times when it's like, whoa. You know, the, there's a period between the uh, uh, Old Testament and the New Testament. Scholars, what's it called? The, the intertestamental period, 400 years of silence. But you know what? It wasn't 400 years of silence. God was working mightily in that time. He was, he was still speaking. And, and that takes us to our next point. God was not silent, nor is he silent in our scripture that we're reading today, and he's not silent today. He's still speaking. So God is speaking. In the last days... In Acts 2.17, if you don't need to turn there, but you may if you want to, it says, and in the last days it shall be that God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, 
and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. <laughs> do you think we're in that time? You know, I actually do. I, I actually believe we're in that time where, where God is beginning to speak in a very, very mighty way. He's speaking to his church. He's speaking through visions, and he's speaking through dreams. Uh, maybe that hasn't happened to you. Uh, maybe it has. But God is still speaking. And again, it's astounding when you think with technology how small our world is. We can reach uh, two-thirds of the population of the world with the technology that we have. With the Internet, we can get the gospel out in, in, with the Internet and all kinds of other devices. And I think about the translators, my own family, translating the Bible into every, not just every uh, uh, language, but every dialect of every language. We're approaching the point where that's going to be done, where the Word of God can be read by anybody in the world. And so God is still speaking. <laughs> and uh, he speaks to us through the scriptures. You know, the, in the passage that we read today, Peter didn't have the New Testament. <laughs> they were living the New Testament. They had the Old Testament scriptures, but they didn't have the New Testament. And here we have, right here, the whole completed word of God. And he is speaking through this word of God every day. Dominique, I'm going to pick on you just for a minute. She was saying on Wednesday night, oh, I want to know the whole scripture. And I was, Trini and I said, you know what? You'll never know the whole scripture because just like God's mercies are new every day, his scripture is new every day. And he just keeps teaching us new things. Seriously, I learned new things. My sister and I were talking on the phone about new things. Here I am, 68 years old, and finding new things in the Scripture. Because we can never plumb the depths of God. And we can never plumb the depths of his word. So he is still speaking. Acts 10, verses 1 through 23a is the next part. And we can see how God is speaking. Think about God speaking as I read these uh, next verses. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. <laughs> and he stared at him in terror. Man, that's a Roman soldier, and he's petrified. <laughs> that's amazing. What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Huh. So here's God. He's speaking to a Gentile God-fearer. Cornelius, he's a, a Roman soldier, a centurion, which means he's over 100 men. It says he's devout. It says that he and his household feared God, that he was generous uh, with alms and giving and praying. And later it says uh, uh, not only was that, but he was an uh, upright man, upright, and that all the Jewish people respected him. So God sees this man. He's a non-Jew. He's not a Christ follower. And we would say, you know, he's not one of us, <laughs> wouldn't we? No, he's not one of us. He's not a Christian. <laughs> but <laughs> God sends the angel of the Lord to speak to him. Isn't that powerful? God sends the angel of the Lord to speak to him, and that's the first thing that we find out in this passage. And you know, some people will tell you that God doesn't hear the prayers of unbelievers. Have you ever heard that? You know what? 
I believe that he does. I mean, it says right here in the passage that his alms and his, his good works and his prayers came up to the Lord as a memorial. So I believe that God does hear the prayers of people that don't know him yet. <laughs> because you know what? He's got the whole world in his hands, doesn't he? This is what the Bible tells me. He's got the whole world in his hands. <laughs> so Cornelius, he was terrified, but he heard and obeyed the angel. And he said, go get, you know, the angel said, go get Peter from Joppa. <laughs> you know, we too often in our lives look at people and think, you know what, they're not one of us. My sister was talking to me about atheists, and she was saying, you know, we have a couple nephews that are trying to be atheists as hard as they can be. And uh, part of their thing is their intellectualism. And uh, that she says atheists really look down on Christians and think, you know, they're stupid. And, and I turned it around later in the conversation, and I said, and yet I know a lot of Christians that look down on atheists and would say they're stupid. Uh, they're full of intellectualism and, you know, worldly wisdom, but they don't have the godly wisdom. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's easy to say they're not one of us. And we too often look at people and think that. But God took notice. But God, every time I say but God, that's in capital letters in my notes. But God, he took notice of Cornelius. And you know what? If you were to check out the scriptures, and I challenge you to do this, see how many people who are, who are not one of us that God speaks to or speaks through or, or who have more faith than God's own people. Let me just give you a couple of illustrations. <laughs> Jesus came up against a Roman centurion. You remember that? And, and he wanted his daughter to be healed. And... and, and Jesus says about this Roman centurion, he says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Huh, that's a pagan Roman he's talking about. Jesus' parable of the good Samaritan. You know, the Jews called them Samaritan dogs. <laughs> and the Samaritan was the one who helped the man that was in the ditch and took care of him. Think how bold that was, this parable that Jesus was teaching about, hey, it was the Samaritan, not one of us, that did the good deed. <laughs> and think about the Ruth, a Moabitess, who said to her mother-in-law, for, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And then out of the lineage of Ruth, the Lord Jesus Christ. She wasn't one of us. <laughs> Think about Rahab, the foreign prostitute. She makes it to the hall of fame for faith in the book of Hebrews. She wasn't one of us. <laughs> Think of Abigail. <laughs> I love Abigail. Do you know who Abigail is? Uh, remember David was protecting this man's uh, sheep and possessions, and he was hoping to get a reward for it but the, uh, Nabal was going to probably kill him, and, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, warned David, and God uses this woman, who's not one of us, to exhort David and to correct him and to protect his life. <laughs> None of them were considered God's people, but you know what? My Bible tells me he's got the whole world in his hands, every one of us. So now... God is speaking to a Jewish Christ follower, Peter. Follow along with me, and starting in uh, 23b. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa. Oh, I'm sorry. Did, did I skip a, a part of the verse or of the a passage? I think I stopped at the end of 8. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I meant to start at 9. So let me pick up back there. Peter's vision. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. There's Peter, good praying guy, going up on top of the roof. He's going to pray. 
and he became hungry, typical man, wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheep descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And then came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And then the voice came to him again a second time. And here's the lesson of the passage, by the way. We'll hear it again. But here's the lesson of the passage. What God has made clean, do not call common. Common means profane or unclean. What God has made clean, do not call that unclean. And you know what? This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Let me read on down just a little further before I stop. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate right at that same time and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, right at that moment, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. So now God is speaking to a Jewish Christ follower. And you know what? Peter's a slow learner, isn't he? Yeah, I know because I recognize it because I'm a slow learner. <laughs> you got to love Peter, though. I do. He's a slow learner, and I can relate to that. Do you remember he was warned by the Lord Jesus and yet he denied the Lord how many times? Three times. And yet, Jesus reinstated him by forgiving Peter and expressing how much he loved him and forgiveness that he gave him. How many times did the Lord do that? Three times. When I wrote this down the first time I was preparing this, I just had to put in parentheses, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? It really is. So he knew Peter in and out, and he knew exactly what Peter needed to be restored. <laughs> you know what? He knows each one of us totally in and out. And it made me think about when God got a hold of me. He knew exactly how to get a hold of me and what I needed so that I could trust in him. And he, he does that for each one of us. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? By the way, that's the title of an old song. I won't try and sing it. He knows just what we need. And now Peter needs to learn a lesson. That's why God is doing this right here. He needs to learn a lesson. <laughs> and, and, and the lesson, you know, uh, so, so I'm going to put it in, in, in terms of a video. It says he was in a trance. But I'm thinking it's like a video, right? Now, how many times did God show him the video? Three times. <laughs> and, and Peter said, no, Lord, you know, I, I can't do that. You know, <laughs> you know uh, by no means, Lord, I would never do that. You know, uh, no self-respecting uh, Jew would ever eat or kill those uh, unclean, common, profane animals. And then the Lord says, by no means, the Lord says what God has made clean. Do not call common. So you remember at the beginning of the message, I said that all people are created in God's image. God made each one of us in his image. Did he make us unclean? No, he didn't make us unclean. He didn't do that. And so he's telling Peter, the things that I have made, 
in God's image, how can you call a whole people group unclean? How can you do that? And yet we do. God made each one of them. He's got the whole world in his hands, by the way, if I haven't said that. There's another song that we sing. It came to my head while I was uh, preparing a message. Uh, You you know the song. Uh, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. How many years has the church sung that song? Years and years and years and years and years. And and I think sometimes when I was growing up, we thought, oh, that means people overseas or or something, you know. And, and we didn't always apply it to ourselves and to, to where we live and where we walk every day. God is trying to teach us a lesson. <laughs> That's a very powerful little song, but it needs to be true. But I think the church, like Peter, in some ways is slow to learn. But you know what? God is preparing. God is preparing. That's our next point. Actually, God has been preparing his people to love the whole world, the nations, the family, all the nations. You know, over 80 times in the scriptures, it talks about God loving the nations, dying for the nations, sending people for the nations to be part of his family. And so I want you to listen and listen for the world family. I've got six readers, and now this is where you've got to tune it up a little bit because you're gonna, some of you are going to just block this out when somebody else is reading the Scripture. But I want you to listen. This is the Word of God, and it's over 80 times he says these things in Scripture. So uh, when I'm in the Illinois Youth Center, I say to the readers, Read loud and proud, okay? Stand up, read loud and proud, and let's hear what God has to say from his word. Genesis 12, 3, to Israel. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. The first covenant, Abrahamic covenant. In you, all the nations will be blessed. Number two. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over them. Amen. Number three. Daniel 7.14, speaking of Jesus, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Amen. Amen. Number four. Mark 11.17, Jesus says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of I love that. All the nations. In a couple places in the scripture, it says, my house should be called a house of prayer. But Isaiah and the Lord Jesus pointed out for all the nations. Number five. Romans 15, 12. Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him the Gentiles will hope. Amen. That's us, brothers and sisters. Amen. God's not willing that any should perish. Jesus' sins were the payment for the sins of the whole world. And people argue about that last point. I'm sorry, but his blood was shed for the sins of the whole world. It doesn't mean necessarily the whole world's going to turn to him. But he shed his blood for the whole wide world. He got the whole world in his hands, the Lord does. so. And finally... I'm the last reader, and I got so caught up, I forgot about that. Revelations. You got to get something out of Revelation. Some people start in the book of Revelation. (laughs) Revelation uh, chapter 7 and verses 9 and 10, the great white throne. After this, I looked. This is John speaking. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, Jesus. 
clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's preparing. He's constantly preparing the way for Christ and his kingdom. He's preparing the hearts of the church to accept. <laughs> you notice that Peter, it says that he brought some of the brothers of the church to go along with him to meet Cornelius. So he's got a group of people coming. You know, it takes leadership. I was thinking about that. So, so God is preparing Peter, and he's going to use Peter to be a leader right away now to, to do this thing where he's trying to get people to love all peoples and to reach out to all peoples. <laughs> it takes leadership uh, when God's working in the church. And, and Peter and then Paul later actually took the mantle to go to all the Gentiles. Uh, it took their leadership uh, to drive out prejudice because God was preparing. I think of, and this is the time of year when we talk about this, and God used men like Martin Luther King who said darkness cannot drive out darkness. He said a lot of good things, but this is one of the things that he said. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. He's talking to the church. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. He's talking to the church. God was reminding the church to be light and salt, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. God was preparing and is still preparing. And I'm thankful for the leaders of Village Bible Church because I think our leaders get it. I think they recognize that God is preparing us to reach the whole world, to love all of our neighbors, uh, teaching us to love the nations, to be a family. Not only is he preparing the heart of the church, but he was preparing the hearts of the Gentiles to hear. We see that in that picture. Now Cornelius... Who did Cornelius invite to come along? Family and friends, it says. <laughs> so I, I got this picture in my mind. I love these kind of, does your mind ever go crazy on these things? So I'm thinking, okay, here's all these Jewish guys over here looking like Jews, you know, with the beards and the robes. And, the, and then over here on this side, you got Cornelius and his group, you know. And uh, I'm not sure how, but, the, you know, they're Romans and Gentiles. They probably got every imaginable thing. And, and these guys are looking at these guys, and they're looking at them, and, you know, they're not one of us, you know. They're really not one of us. And that's the picture that I get. And yet God, in his wisdom, allowed two groups to come together, not just two men. And in those groups, I know there were people that were probably thinking, you know what, I'm not so sure about this, you know. <laughs> And yet God was preparing their hearts because he wanted to teach a lesson. And here's what happened with Cornelius. I think this is really powerful. <laughs> um, Cornelius, he tried to bow down to uh, Peter. And Peter, with great wisdom, you know, and I think I was thinking about that. Peter, you remember how Peter was always doing something stupid, you know, cutting somebody's ear off or... Or, you know, and, and, and so he can connect with this dude. Man, dude, don't bow down to me. He says, I'm a man just like you are, is basically what he's saying. And right away, the two groups that are looking at each other, one of them tried to do this, and, and Peter says, no, I am a man just like you are a man. Now the groups are thinking, hmm, hmm, God's preparing something here. There's something happening here. <laughs> I love that. And Peter was wise when he instructed Cornelius. Uh, you know what else? Peter reminded them. He came right out and said it. And basically he was talking about the rabbinic law. That was the rabbis. And they had the law on top of the law on top of the law. They made rules that were not in the scriptures. And this was one of them. Cornelius is telling them, you know what? The rabbis taught us that it was unlawful for Jews to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. Wow, that's a man-made law. You know, when you get into churches, sometimes there's some man-made laws that we need to think about. Is that really what God intended? We need to question that because 
we got to check it against the Word of God. And, and so <laughs> I thought it was very wise of Peter to, to actually say that. He told them what God was preparing him to learn and that he should not call any person common or unclean. Notice he's not talking about animals there now. He says, I should not call any person common or unclean. In other words, Jesus, God has got what? He's got the whole world in his hands. So not only is God moving and speaking and preparing, I want us to see that God is present. Listen to 1033b, just that short little phrase right there. If I can get to it here. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I think I, I want to read some more scripture that I forgot to read. How far did I go? I'm sorry. 23a. The next day he rose and went away with them. That was Peter and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called them had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And then this is what Cornelius said. He said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. And this is where I wanted us to get to. This is what Cornelius says. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. People say, what's the application? Besides, you know, let's not be prejudiced. Let's love everybody. Here's the application. And it came out of that other group that wasn't one of them. It came from Cornelius, which I think makes it even more powerful. He says, we're here in the presence of God. This is a Gentile standing there, a Roman soldier. We're here in the presence of God. We're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. <laughs> so that's the application. And, and they're ready. I love the fact that they're standing there and they're ready to hear from the Lord. And so I said to myself, Dave, when you go and you're standing in the presence of God and you're with all the people in the congregation, are you really ready to hear from the Lord all the commands that God has given? When Phil's up there preaching, am I ready to do that? When, when Josh is preaching, when I'm preaching, are we ready to do that? And so, you know, I like practical things, and I just thought, you know what, I want the church to hear that this morning. And so this is what I, I want to do. I want you to just stand for a minute. We're, we're almost wrapping this up, not quite yet, but stand with me just for a minute. And, and I want us to say back what Cornelius said. So you say it after me, and then repeat it after me. We are all here in the presence of God. We are all here in the presence of God. To hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now you can sit down.
And you know, every one of you just said that, I think. And I want to say we said that to the Lord. We're here to hear all. We're here in the presence of God to hear all <laughs> that you've been commanded by the Lord. So let me say we need to recognize that we're in the presence of God. We need to recognize that we're here to hear his word. And we need to recognize that all, if all we do is hear it and then we don't obey it, we, we've blown it. He wants us to obey his commands. It's kind of like the old hymn. You may have gathered by now I like old hymns. Remember that song, Trust and Obey? It's pretty simple. Trust that you're in the presence of God and obey the commands that he gives to you. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The last thing I want to say is that God is not partial. This takes us beyond our text to verses 34 and 35. Listen to what Peter said. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And you know what? Then he goes on after that, and he preaches and he says that to Jesus all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus and him receives forgiveness through his name. So that's the gospel. And the gospel is meant for, who is it meant for? All the nations, the whole world. See, he's got the whole world in his hand. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we have recognized your presence and we've heard your word and that we will obey it, whatever you have spoken to us. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus.